I am speaking today with Jack from the Indie Film Library. The Indie Film Library is the Independent Media Association's latest member, and it's essentially a platform that critiques, reviews, celebrates platforms and highlights underrepresented films, underappreciated films and independent films that the writers have scouted, seen or have been sent to them. Coming up at the end of the month, there will be an actual festival that Indie Film Library will be hosting in Amsterdam. And Jack shares with us three of his top picks to watch out for. So thank you so much, Jack, for joining us for this podcast episode, specifically focused on your work at Indie Film Library. So first of all, can you introduce yourself? Oh, uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. And um, yes, I'm Jack uh, Brindelli. I've been running Indie Film Library for about four and a half years now, I think. It was, it's kind of a blur before before lockdown now, but I guess we started in 2019. So yeah, this, this will be our fourth completed year, I think. Or um, I had previously run film festivals uh, both in, in Norwich in the east of England and in Amsterdam. And both times they were extremely expensive and stressful scenarios. Um, in which I didn't really get the opportunity to do the thing that I really enjoyed, uh, which was <laughs> talk about the films and, and why I'd picked them uh, to show in the first place. Um, and at the same time, I noticed that generally, as a rule in the industry of film festivals, you pay a lot of money to submit your films uh, that you've probably already paid beyond your means in order to get them produced in the first place and you pay a lot of money to festivals uh, only for the majority of them to probably reject you without feedback um, and I've been there myself as, as a, a tried failed and retired fil filmmaker I <laughs> submitted films to festivals and obviously didn't get uh, selected and never knew why so there was never an opportunity despite me having paid that money for me to try and adapt and improve what I was putting out so that maybe next time it might be better um, and so my idea with Indie Film Library was to try and both give myself an opportunity to to do the thing that I, I really enjoy uh, with the kind of film festival uh, aspect of actually finding films and talking about them and explaining why I like them and think that they deserve uh, attention uh, or at the same time trying to plug that kind of gap in the market where even when we don't accept films we write detailed reviews explaining what it was that we didn't like about them. Uh, and so, since I've been running it, I've been joined by a, a few other writers, uh, part-time or re more regular contributors, um, including uh, John Ransom and uh, Tony Moore, who are our, our, our most regular and uh, beloved contributors. Um, and uh, it's been a really enjoyable experience to, to see how both the, the platform has grown over the past uh, four years. I wanted to ask a few logistical questions because obviously a lot of people listening tend to... Well, first of all, I should flag that John is on the board of the Independent Media Association uh, and my diorama is, is one of the members as well. And Indie Film Library has joined this wonderful umbrella of um, independent media organisations in the UK, which is great. 
and a lot of people listening tend to uh, be involved in independent media output or various platforms or even film festivals and uh, the, the usual questions that come up are basically what the logistics behind it so you set it up as a website um well first of all how did you find other writers and how did you work to promote it how I did think, you get to where you uh, are today so finding the other writers logistically was difficult um and remains difficult i would like to have a bigger team than we have uh and unfortunately obviously when you're running things on a shoestring budget at best we're encountering the same problems that most independent filmmakers come across is that you know rightfully people expect money for for, for their labor and um uh, i knew john from uh, radical circles back in norwich where i'm originally from and uh, so I just knew him from activism. I knew that he was also a writer for the Canary. And uh, at one point, I think I noticed in his on his Facebook that he he was uh, between between jobs and looking for something to do. And uh, so I, I just uh, hit him up, and it turned out that he'd been reading the articles occasionally and keeping up with it, and was interested. So he was happy to right. happy to <laughs> help us out. Um, with Tony, it was a it was a much less straightforward route, or I don't know, but like he was a, um, he was the convener of the student union that I, 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 I knew him from my time at the University of East Anglia. And um, he was so ridiculously well-read and could have a conversation on virtually anything uh, philosophically or in terms of media or any book you could ever possibly care to mention so I, I again i i heard tell that he was going to be retiring stepping back from his role from that and uh i figured why not why not just uh put out put out a branch to him and see see if he'd like to to co contribute he'd never written anything like that before um and he's been great and i think that that is probably one of our that's one of our best tips i guess is uh if you're going to launch a platform like this sometimes there are people out there who you might just know who aren't writers and you might not you know instinctively from an editorial perspective think to go and contact those people to try and get them involved but they will bring a level of insight and different way of working that uh, you know even if you do get a seasoned writer um it could be kind of samey so it, it can bring something something fresh um but yeah but uh, besides that we're, yeah. we're still trying to add to the team obviously so um we'll move on in a sec to um discussing the three yes. short films you recommended i watch uh, but just before then i just wanted to go over a little bit uh, your own career as a well all your own background in film so you were an <laughs> yeah. aspiring filmmaker um, is that I right made, um, I suppose what they would be referred to now is essay films um, so it was they're still available online on on YouTube so I have um, I think the, the 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 one that I was most proud of was a film called uh, Dawn of the Red uh, which was um, a film about the left left-wing politics of zombie films i assume you you're, you you highlight romero's work and 
of uh, yeah, I, you, you you can't hope to have any credibility in in talking about that subject and ignore Romero. Um, but also, we um, I added in things about uh, this much lesser known film called Pontypool uh, from Canada. I think about two thousand and eight, it came out, and it's one of those independent films I was talking about that's super innovative in the way that it gets around not having any budget or actors. So it's uh, the zombie the zombie outbreak recorded from the perspective of uh, a radio studio underground. Um, oh, that's clever. And they're just okay. kind of getting drips and drabs of information and trying to piece together what could possibly be going on. And at the same time, there's something quite different about this particular outbreak. I won't give away any spoilers in case anyone wants to see Pontypool, which I always recommend that they do. Which they can see where? Oh, Good God knows where. Um, I mean, I initially saw it on Love Film, the the now yeah. deceased competitor of uh, Netflix. <laughs> so I I don't know where it is available anymore. Sadly, it well, we'll have, just a, we'll have a, a little Google browser. YouTube, we'll, maybe, we'll put it yeah. in the blurb. Yeah, it might be. It might be for all we know. Um. So yeah, that that was the kind of the, the kind of film that I did where I would, I would talk about different films. Um, maybe have kind of a comedic breakaway. So a couple of. A couple of my friends were very courageous actors. Um, uh, one of them in particular, um, Tiffany Knight Hughes, um, kind of, uh, what would you call it? You know, uh, she pretended to become a zombie in the middle of uh, a mall with nobody, nobody primed for that. So uh, yeah, that kind of thing was a lot of fun to do. It, I can't really explain it in a way that sounds coherent, but it kind of worked in that film. I was pretty proud of that one. We also had a uh, a film called um, uh, we 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 did a lot of work with uh, feminist film academics from the uh, from the University of East Anglia, and it was about um, the role of witch films and possession films in kind of demonising uh, uh, female empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously not just films, but the kind of like historical legacy of of, of witch myths. Uh, and that was called Witches and Bitches. That did get into the Tullpuddle Small Axe Film Festival. So I, I played at one festival for before I hang up, hung up my, uh, uh, my director's hat. And in general, what sorts of films are you... Are you particularly into probably that that gave it away that horror is my absolute favorite uh, genre because there's just uh, there's so many layers to um, the political uh, angles the psychological angles uh, you can just generally get a feel of from from a particular horror subgenre some kind of social fear being embodied in a in an abstract way. And I kind of love decoding that, like with vampires, for example, they're kind of this archetypal um, embodiment of fears of the ruling class. Uh, um, And, uh, you know, literally draining the life force of the peasant class Um, or kind of looking at uh, werewolves again, kind of this kind of manifestation of fear of rapacious landowners. Um, if you look at the, say, the Wolfman, um, it's that, that kind of uh, landowner and landowner's son, kind of this horrible legacy of, of, of tormenting local people, people of the uh, ethnic minorities. Or, um, so, yeah, I, I, that, that kind of angle of horror is fascinating to me. At the same time, 
as much as anyone else, I like a good jump scare. I like the adrenaline of it. Um, and a good, uh, Do you have any, good... any top picks from um, uh, the last year? The last... Oh, well, I'm going to draw a blank now, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> Oh, uh, I mean, I saw um, Nope. And I, I know it was very divisive among the critics, particularly and probably the audiences, but I don't tend to talk to a lot of people who've actually seen Nope. So who knows? I personally loved it. Uh, and actually, there's an element of one of these films that I kind of saw a couple of parallels with Nope. I, I don't know if you've seen that one. I am ashamed to say I I, I haven't. Okay. I don't really have an excuse. I just haven't got round to, to watching it. And I have to say maybe I was mildly put off by the lukewarm with reviews um, and it kind of dropped down my to-watch list. Jordan Peele's work is really uh, interesting in that there's this kind of, obviously there's the instant politics you can get of it. And that's the stuff that, you know, it's considered safe to talk about. And so you will get like the, the Guardian will pick up on it and praise uh, um, get out for some very obvious stuff about like uh, racial politics in America. But then there's this, and in Nope, I think, there's this other undercurrent beyond that of like critiquing things that we have taken as being culturally acceptable and popular for a long time. And particularly, I think in the case of Nope, there's this underlying critique of, say, the spectacle cinema of, say, Steven Spielberg. Uh, and I don't obviously want to read too heavily into it, but he is a director who has um, used, say, the legacy of slavery to create um, mm -hmm. spectacle in, in his films, in particular with uh, Amistad. And uh, I think there is a there is something more to be read into, say, Nope, with how uh, that kind of theme in, is playing. Uh, I I did write a more coherent review of of the film, expressing these thoughts probably a lot better. But uh, again, as you haven't seen the film, I won't give away any spoilers. And if uh, anyone wants to hear what I coherently thought of it then please go to indie film library where you'll be able to find the full write-up of note have you watched the i think much very much underrated smile oh um so no unfortunately i have not uh watched that yet we did have a, a so a, a a friend of mine from my time at the University of East Anglia, um, Dr. Vincent Kane, he did write an article for Halloween for us and specifically said that a smile was one of, had one of his favorite moments of the year in it. So uh, having seen that come from him, I was very surprised and put it on my list, but my list is already long as my arm. I still have to watch Censor, which came out several years ago now. Um, which was directed by uh, a filmmaker from the first film festival that I actually did. We, we showed some of her, one of her films there. Uh, I still have to see that. Um, I have to see uh, Mad God, which came out as well, which is kind of this nightmarish Lovecraftian animation, I think. I mean, then there's Men, obviously, was the, on everybody's uh, hot, hot list last year, and I haven't got around to that yet. You, when we first chatted about recording this um, intro to Indie Film Library and Indie Film Library's work, you recommended three short films that are available to watch on YouTube yes. that we can briefly discuss um, as a sort of taster 
of what Jack from Indie Film Library likes to watch and comment on. So can you tell us what these three films are? Okay, yes. So um, these three films that I sent you are part of this year's Indie Film Library selection. Um, and so the they're, they're not publicly available yet. However, I've sent you a screening copy of them. But um, okay, yes. So um, we've got... Uh, Three films. The the first. Just to double check with you, so these films aren't available to view yet. When you say they are uh, part of Indie Film Library special selection, what does that mean effectively? So these films that are up for selection for Indie Film Library at the end of April. Um, so in two weeks now, um, I will be hosting a live and online event. Um, first of all, from the 26th to the 28th of April, that will be the online event, and that's where the international films will be showing. And that includes two of these films. And then on the 30, uh, on the 29th of April, I better get that right, um, we are showing at a physical venue in Amsterdam at Filmhouse Kavia uh, from four o'clock onwards, and the third of tonight's films is in that selection so yes um i haven't checked what exactly the filmmakers have decided for their release date yet but i think these are still circulating on on the film festival circuit being 2022 uh releases we're gonna quickly chat about them and flag them for future audience members mm -hmm. for the end of the month and then go and watch those films and come back and listen to us talk about them and see if you agree or disagree with with what we say. So why did you pick those three specifically? What did you like about them? The the one that I put top of the list was uh, Rotterdam Velatons Neat. Um, my Dutch is still not fantastic, uh, but uh, it translates as roughly Rotterdam Don't Leave Us. It's um, a film poem that I think a lot of people both uh, in in and out of the Netherlands will understand because of its themes of gentrification. There are these uh, the, there are there are lines within it. Obviously, it's some uh, poetry written by um, I think Dean Bowen and Vienna um, Harcourt, I believe, and they are the they were kind of poet laureates in the city of Rotterdam. Um, tasked with summing up the, the current state of the city and then director uh, um, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this uh, Hido Jurisen uh, um, mm -hmm. he committed the poem to film with visual accompaniment um, the lines there, there are lines in the poem uh, about how they know and love this city and they've been part of it for so long that they feel like they they're, they're children of it but at the same time uh, because of the drips and, and drabs of, of, of the corporate world slowly taking over larger and larger sections of, of the city it feels like most of what they know about it has become a facade and, and the stuff that was interesting the stuff that made the city's heartbeat in the first place has been hollowed out from uh from Amsterdam to Rotterdam to London, and even in in Little Hope Norwich, it's a process that uh, that, that uh, movie goers and people in general are going to be very familiar with. 
Um, I particularly enjoyed the visual accompaniments. And this is the thing, we, we do get submitted a lot of film poems and some are drastically more successful than others. This is one of the gold standards, mm -hmm. I would say, in terms of how the director has managed to um, complement visually everything that's going on there. And I think the, 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 the most enjoyable idea is um, taking recognizable asset uh, essences of modern life and kind of transporting them into a, a future museum yeah, in the kind of in the way that you might see like um, one of those um, mock scenes from the Jorvik Center or um, uh, similar museums where you see like this is what an old Viking square would have looked like and everyone's like posing yeah, a reconstruction, in a market square. Yeah. Um, and you have that here. You have uh, things like um, there is the market square, obviously, where somebody is uh, dangling a, a raw herring into their mouth, which is one of my favorite things to have discovered people actually do yeah. in the Netherlands since having moved here. Um, there, there's a, a very comfortable living room where uh, an elderly couple are knitting and uh, the, the woman is knitting a fine odd scarf reflecting the, the fearsome uh, tribal commitment to the, the local football team that they have there. Um, and so you have th these elements are what have made that city interesting and then to trans transplant them into this kind of setting is 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 um, telling of maybe a future where Rotterdam has become an entirely um, uh, an, an entirely sterile zone meant only for, for big business and uh, everyone else has been priced out of the place. At the same time, there's also these interesting uh, side notes uh, that, you know, you shouldn't get too idealistic about that element. There are still obviously problems. And mm -hmm. one of the most uh, striking visuals is um, the set of very, very clean, pristine uh, feet walking across um, a street that is being held up by uh, ordinary people, um, which uh, I can't remember the name of it's it's it, it reminds me of a very specific piece of uh, like rev revolutionary propaganda. Um, I think the the Tsar's wedding cake is what it's known as uh, made yeah during the Russian Revolution. Um, where yeah, um, mm -hmm. all the all the, all the finery of society is on the on the backs of of the working class, but anyway, yeah, I, th those are the reasons why I, I picked that particular film um, for for the festival, and um, yeah, it, I, to talk about, I just wanted to make an example of some of the Dutch cinema that we're that we're championing because I have for a long time thought that um, it's a bit under underappreciated but it's it's much more than and Paul Verhoeven is great but there it, there is much more to it than that and there is much more to it than the kind of like Hollywood ripoff industry which don't get me wrong is thriving here but there are so many more biting social critiques outright hilarious and absurd films um great creepy horrors um yeah there's a lot to be explored and uh, if you get the chance to, to dive into some independent Dutch cinema, I think you'll be surprised that it is not, it's not the um, 
for want of a better word, the Euro trash that a lot of people are primed to expect. That's what I really like about short film and the ease with which short film is circulated and and shown in festivals is is that it acts as a really good gateway for international cinema. Um, And then I was wondering out loud uh, how um, things like video film, uh, sorry, uh, what did you call them? Poetry films? It's, yeah, poem films or poetry films, yeah. Poem films, how they translate. So I obviously, I don't speak Dutch, so I'm sure I lost a lot of the poetry there. So there's a, I, th- I think sometimes the universality of their appeal might be compromised by the specificity of the language. But the general gist of it really did speak to me. And I, I assume or spoke to you and, and many other people given the fact that it, it focused specifically on an international issue, which is um, the gutting of cities um, through, you know, gentrification, excess privatization, etc. Yeah. Um, where a lot of the cities sort of feel soulless and very samey. And you really get that. And the and you're right, the imagery of the museum um, really works because well you have these everywhere I mean I'm thinking even the Museum of London or you know um, where you have these reconstitutions of of old streets and there's something very sanitised about them (laughs) I mean yeah I I, I went with the Jorvik option but there's one that's closer to where I used to live in Great Yarmouth there's uh, one that's like an old uh, fish gutting museum basically that one's a little less sanitised in that the whole place still it still stinks of like herring guts. Um, but um, yeah, like these old cobbled streets, tiny within within the walls of a building. And uh, something, yeah, sanitized is, is probably the, the term because it doesn't quite convey the, the, the real essence of like people having to, to live in the way that they did back then. You know, it's, it's maybe a bit twee sometimes. But um, just to come back on your your comment about whether or not uh, a film poem can be universal d- across different languages, I guess I hadn't really thought about mm-hmm. it from the perspective of somebody who hasn't got any any in- encountering of the Dutch language, because I still consider that mine is 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 slacked, uh, uh, in it, which is bad. Um, but I guess I have been around it enough that while I'm reading the subtitles, I'm hearing it in the back of my head still, what what the poets are saying aloud. And it has a beat and a rhythm that I can recognise still. And so maybe it still works as a poem for me in that sense. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd be interested to, to, to find out whenever this does open up to a wider audience. I'll, I'll uh, try and get it to screen to, to as many... Uh, people back home as possible. Uh, I will ask my the, the jury as well, who are judging what what whether they thought it played any role for them. Um, in in this yeah, case, I'll be curious to see reactions as well. Yeah, in this case, I'm I'm not too worried about how it plays out with audiences because, as I say, this is only going to be shown at our Amsterdam event. But yeah, moving on to the second film, yes. it's Touch of Freedom. So, tell us a bit more about Touch of Freedom. How did you come across that film? So, um, well, all of these films are actually sent directly to to Indie Film Library. Right. Uh, and this year, I'm not sure entirely why, but 
for the for the first time we actually started to get submissions from China, which we we'd never had before. And this one came from uh, director um, uh, Kian uh, Miao or Mao. I'm I'm not entirely sure again with the pronunciation, but uh, she sent it in. I thought it was it was difficult for me to talk about in the review because I wasn't sure if it was making reference to a specific like ancient legend uh, which the story could be built around. Um, so I was kind of flying in the dark. Um, and <laughs> uh, KM did get in touch with me afterwards, which I thought was, oh, right, was great. Okay. And I did not expect to hear back from her, but she said... Uh, thanks very much obviously and apparently my evaluation of it was was broadly correct so i was very pleased um in particular there was a very uh, there was a there was an attempt at an exploration of chinese national politics in in combination with these myths which i guess is kind of coming back to what i was saying about with with horror as well like you know mythology is often a underground way of of getting across some kind of like social truth or political messaging um, and uncoding that is a lot of fun. So I, I really did enjoy interacting with Touch of Freedom, even though I wasn't entirely sure I was interacting with it correctly. Uh, the film is gorgeous, black and white uh, cinematography. Um, uh, a princess sits on the banks of a river watching the sun dance off the water and uh, ventures into a forest nearby where she finds a a sleeping woman who is not wearing any clothes and the the woman turns out to have scales uh, and is some kind of snake that can transform into people I guess. I don't want to get too deep into the plot obviously to spoil it for everyone else but I thought that there was an attempt to talk about how LGBTQ plus issues are being kind of mm -hmm. Uh, either swept under the rug or, or um, directly uh, trampled down by the, the Chinese government. And um, that it was a very clever way of getting around censorship that might be applied to films that would directly approach those topics. And again, this apparently is what the director was, was trying to do. So yeah that's that's um why i thought it deserved a wider audience and why it is playing in the international section of our, our festival uh, obviously people i don't know when this will go out but people will still be able to probably get access to that we're selling tickets to the uh online film portal at the moment on in indiefilmlibrary.com and uh yeah if this sounds interesting to you then please check that out i thought Outside of any sort of explanation or context, it worked really well as a quite creepy, surprising short. Um, it, the, <laughs> yes. the aesthetic was really, really old school. It felt like I was watching something from a film made in the 20s or 30s. It was quite grainy as well. I wasn't sure whether that was the just the quality of the, the screener I was watching or... It would be nice. It's it's always nice to have a bit of extra context or director's comments. So I wasn't sure whether when people send their films, do they have to provide a, a lengthier synopsis or director's notes or anything like that? They have the option to. Um, uh, we we don't we well we can't compel them to, but um, it's always appreciated. 
I do try to watch the film blind first because, yeah, like I, I feel like to some extent, I say if you're watching a documentary about Elvis that lasts 90 minutes and you come away from the film afterwards thinking, I'm not sure what that was about, then there's a bit of a problem. And uh, if I've read the notes that have primed me to know it, maybe I'd have got the message. But, you know, that that is not a very good documentary about Elvis in that case. Um, so, you know, that's <laughs> maybe not a great example. But so, I, I, you know, I don't watch the films until uh, I don't read the description until after I've read the films. In this case, we didn't get one, though. So it was nice to to hear from Kayan after afterwards and get that extra context um and uh yeah just 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 to come back on the film's graininess um yeah obviously because filming on real film is is pretty damn expensive you don't get many films that are entirely on uh on actual film this is this is one of those hybrids that this is mostly digital but i think the sections that are outdoors are on are on film so it's 35 millimeter at that point and that's yeah. the grainy stuff and that gives it that old world quality you're right and mm. um obviously also they continue that maybe with a bit of artificial grain in in the later scenes so uh, again it's a hybrid it's made on a shoestring i think they they did exceptionally well to tighten to make that as seamless as possible and at the same time they use these uh, speech cards there's no verbal dialogue in the whole thing so it comes across as a silent yeah. movie when the maybe two lines of dialogue occur it's all just on a card so yeah i i really like that kind of uh old school element to it and yeah it's it it does seem like something you would find an old reel of just in an attic that somebody somebody smuggled out of, of china almost and you've stumbled upon this yeah. remarkable artifact that uh, tells a story and then also has these like social political comments buried within it which is like the true essence of mythology so yeah i i fell in love with it for that reason well you've sold it that's great <laughs> and now to give us to give audiences taste uh, of what's to come oh, is God. experience the world the train so totally different register totally different tone uh, tell us more about this yeah. one yeah this is not 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 something that audiences maybe want to get the same kind of taste of i think uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah i just wanted to show how versatile the program is again um this is a animated comedy film um directed by duro howard howard jr uh and written and narrated by brad pike um it was in, it was initially reviewed by uh tony um and he gave it a five star review and at first, I, I I raised did raise my eyebrows a little bit of that until I actually watched the film and uh, yeah, God, it's amazing. Uh, we initially did screen it as part of our Halloween. We had, we had an online Halloween showcase, and we do every year, partially because of my love of horror. Uh, I wish we would get more scary films, but yeah. uh, I don't know. You wouldn't call it an outright horror. It's a comedy primarily, but it has some very. Yeah. It has some very, uh, it has cosmic horror elements to it. And uh, it, this is the film that reminded me slightly of Nope. Um, but I won't get into details as to why. If if anyone listening has seen Nope, and then they also get the chance to watch uh, this film, which again is on our international online 
program, then they'll, they'll probably work it out for themselves. Uh, it's about, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a pastiche of the on, online YouTube phenomenon of um, ASMR. Uh, of talking yes, slowly, okay. slowly yeah, yeah, yeah. and calmly into a microphone <laughs> and getting someone to, to visualize and relax. Uh, but the punchline is that Brad Pike is inviting you to imagine the worst possible place to be in 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 uh, modern society uh, on a crowded <laughs> New York metro uh, where a baby is urinating in <laughs> omnidirectionally I think it's described as and uh, uh, baseball fans are, are farting and stinking and shouting at you and um, <clears throat> and then um, amongst it all uh, you get onto the wrong train. Uh, and uh, then, then it turns into a, a, a trip to hell, literally. Um, and yeah, I just, I ab- absolutely loved it. I think par- partially it's because um, Brad Pike's writing and narrating style reminds me slightly of uh, Welcome to Night-, Night Vale's Joseph Fink, like high but soothing voice that is saying some incredibly unsettling upsetting things and i love that juxtaposition uh i'm sorry it's not new york it's i think it's chicago if if the because the train is crowded with cubs fans so it's definitely chicago all i'll say is that i'm i'm actually very curious to see what else the director's gonna make yeah absolutely It's, it's very good i really really enjoyed that each year, like the the selections, I, I obviously don't want to give too much away because I don't want to uh, suggest um, to my jury members to vote a certain way or whatever. But each year I have just like my personal favourites, not necessarily ones that I, I want to see win or think should win, but they are the dearest to me because they brought such a reaction out of me. And usually they're the dumbest comedies, <laughs> um, but... I don't think this is dumb necessarily, but it is is certainly a comedy, and it's one of one of the my favourite films of this year. Uh, full stop. Like, um, yeah, it was it was it was a really fantastic experience to to just transport myself. You know, ironically enough, for, for a film that's about an ASMR that does transport you to somewhere more soothing. You know, it transported me somewhere, maybe not soothing, but it was a great trip. Well, I think if these three films are anything to go by, it will be a very very good selection. I'll be looking forward to it. Uh, we're going to share all the information in the blurb on our website on how to log in, how to join, how to watch. Well, thank you very much, Jack. Thanks so much for, uh, for, for inviting me on our blurb. Thanks so much. And that's it from us. 